Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, where we cover advertising, marketing, media and magic, which was a word the mystics of olden times used to refer to the flawless synthesis of data and creativity, or at least that's my understanding of the etymology. I'm Simon Gwynn, Campaign's technology and gaming editor, and today we're bringing you a very exciting interview with someone Campaign once described on our cover, no less, as the most important man in advertising. Was he ever... And if so, is that still true? I'm talking, of course, about Martin Sorrell, the former chief executive of WPP and the founder of S4 Capital, who later on in the episode will be speaking to our editor-in-chief, Gideon Spanier. You may, of course, know him as Sir Martin Sorrell, and that's fine, you know, if that's your bag. Uh, But personally, I don't have a great deal of interest in acknowledging an honour system that's still based on something called the Order of the British Empire. Mr Sorrell, if you're listening, it's nothing personal, I can assure you. Uh, So that's later on. uh, But first, I'm delighted to introduce one of the brilliant new journalists who have joined Campaign in recent weeks. It's our premium content editor, Nicola Merrifield. Nicola's joined us from Pulse magazine, which is uh, the trade title for uh, GPs. Nicola, um, how have you found the adjustment to covering advertising? Well, hi. Um, I've found it very interesting. Um, the advertising sector is so vast and it's so influential. I've met loads of friendly people who are so passionate about their job so far. And I mean, obviously, it's quite different to the world of GPs. <laughs> um, GPs aren't even allowed to advertise their own private services if they're offering that service under an NHS contract. Um, but I've also noticed some similarities. There's no shortage of demand for GP care right now. And you could also say the same for advert productions. Um, I understand that adverts and advertising is supposed to surge after a dip in 2020. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. And uh, that's le- leading to a, a whole load of exciting but challenging uh, uh, things going on, such as um, a bit of a, a talent crisis at the moment for a number of companies. Uh, but welcome, Nicola. Uh, it's, it's great to have you um, with us. So as part of your role, you're heading up uh, the Knowledge, which is our premium content tier uh, that we launched last year. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? Sure. It's where we give campaign readers exclusive columns from editors, uh, other things like quarterly global forecast reports on major business trends in the sector, and also special features providing a deeper insight into the industry. That's all on top of the usual news analysis and comment. Um, And readers can get the regular update on all the latest content from the knowledge via our weekly bulletin. Great. Thanks, Nicola, for that. So um, we're going to talk about uh, some of the recent ads that have been uh, starting conversations. First of all, we're going to go compare the money supermarket. Confused? Well, don't be confused, uh, but also don't be confused.com because we're not talking about that one. And uh, also don't go compare anything as we're also not talking about that one. No, what we have are new campaigns for the other two big price comparison brands. So first up, it's Money Supermarket with its first campaign from New Commercial Arts, which replaced Engine as the brand's creative agency earlier this year. This is called the Money Super 7. So let's have a listen. Money Super 7. What on earth were you thinking? I know the mission was to save Dan some serious money, but it was broad daylight on the M5. They were pretty inconspicuous, I'd say. Whose idea was this? Well, uh, that came out at the start of September, and then just two weeks later, we were treated to this new campaign from Compare the Market from its long-standing agency, VCCP, uh, and this is called Good Things Happen When You Meerkat Your Money. Money? Money? 
I hear villainy is quite lucrative, right, everyone? <laughs> Me? I would just steal the crown jewels. <gasps> Again? <laughs> I'd owe the world to ransom with giant robots. When I said, how can we help people with their money? I meant, help them feel in control of their bills. Find more ways to so, help them save. So, Nicola, I was keen to uh, to get you on while you, you still somewhat have the eyes of uh, an innocent consumer, <laughs> so to speak. So, I uh, don't feel that you need to bring any um, industry insight. But what did you make of these two ads? So I really liked both of them. I found the Compare the Market ad really engaging. It's got a drama to it. Um, the orchestral backing gives it a blockbuster feel. I just like the, you know, the villainous approach where you've got, um, you know, the main meerkat character with criminal accomplices and trying to brag about how they're going to make um, money, but through illicit means. And then the other flip side to that with Money Supermarket is the kind of superhero take on that. Also found this really interesting. It's got a kind of Charlie's Angels feel, but updated because they've got a female boss. And I just really like the way all the, the female characters are kind of a bit smug with the money-making stunt they've pulled off. Not as dramatic as Compare the Market, I thought, um, but Personally, I like the fact that it's um, women taking centre stage um, and they're kind of not being defined for their femininity um, or the way they look. It's about getting on with the job. Yeah, it's it's interesting you, you talk about that. Um, so um, I had a chat with the marketer at Money Supermarket about that campaign and, and I asked why they'd chosen to go with, with an all-female uh, group of heroes and um, there wasn't much of a reason for it, really, uh, which which I found fascinating. Uh, they weren't trying to make a big a big statement or anything, um, although I suppose they, they probably recognise that, um, that some people might, might see it that way. Way. But there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't have an all all female group, and um, you know I hope that we we get to a point in society where that's the kind of thing that we're just not going to need to talk about as much because we have actual gender equality in in, uh, in representation in in ads. But I think the interesting thing about these two campaigns uh, is that they're quite similar, aren't they? In in some ways. Yeah, it's interesting how they seem to have come up with, well, it's two sides of the same coin. So you've got the villains on one side and superheroes on the other. And there's kind of, there is a, a drama to both of them. And obviously it's about, yeah, showing the different characters and how you can save money in different ways relating to the various different products they have. I don't know, have they had some, you know, secret meeting where they're both going to try and vie it, you know, um, vie for business from a similar sort of strategy and see who comes out on top I don't know well I think it's unlikely they've <laughs> that they've had a secret meeting but it but it is interesting it's certainly not the first time I've seen that um that this has happened that we've had two brands in competition with each other who've uh, kind of come to the same uh, conclusion they're either picking up on the same trends in culture or they have the same thoughts about what's going to allow their, their business to grow and clearly both of these companies have seen the diversity of their their product offering if you like as as a, a way to stand out against the competition um but it is a really difficult uh, sector i wrote about this a, a few years ago and it's one of the reasons that there's been so many colorful ad campaigns for these brands over the years as well as things like uh, giving away toys you know the famously the um the meerkat toys were very popular over the years um is because um the core of the product is so difficult to differentiate one from the other really and um i i mean if you were looking for you know um car insurance home insurance or whatever it might be uh where where would you go first well i mean it is difficult like you say because normally it's the thing that comes into your mind in terms of what's the i don't know the catchiest thing and i have to say as a competitor to these guys it's go compare is the one that always comes into my mind because of the kind of operatic song that goes alongside it so for me it's a, it is the thing that sticks in your in your mind the most 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. Um, that's, um, that's an earworm that I'm never going to have out, out of my head uh, until the, the day I die, I would think, the, uh, the Go Compare tune. So I think there's a, there's a big challenge there, there for those brands, um, but they are responding to it with um, some, some pretty enjoyable uh, advertising. So uh, we can't complain too much about that. So next, we're going to move on to something uh, pretty different. Um, this is a new ad for Google from Uncommon Creative Studio with a voiceover by none other than Marcus Rashford, and it's called Hands Raised. I wonder what that is. To wonder what to do. It's okay to ask. After all, it's not our questions that define us. It's what we do with the answers. Now, I, I thought this this ad was wonderful, personally. It's a, There's a great... Uh, insight into the way that the people use Google. I think most of us probably think of Google as somewhere where you can get information, find places to buy things, functional things like that. But the fact is, I'm sure almost all of us have also put uh, more personal, uh, emotional kind of questions in when you're looking for advice on, on how to deal with a situation. And they've picked up on a particular strand of that here, which is difficult questions that people feel uncomfortable asking about, even though they do want to learn and uh, I spoke to Nils Leonard from Uncommon and Nishma Rob from Google last week and uh, Nils said you know this campaign is very much based on the truth about the brand it's not something that's been uh, concocted for advertising the, the queries that you see in this campaign which uh, are things like you know what's a Kaylee uh, are, are genuine examples of things that, that people use uh, Google to uh, to search for and the service that they're offering is actually helping society advance by uh, allowing people to kind of learn about those things in, in a safe space. Nicola, what did you reckon? Yeah, I really love the concept for this advert. Um, the idea of kind of curiosity being the gateway to progression. Um, you know, where do most people find out new information nowadays? You, do, you go to the internet and, you know, Google's become a verb in itself. And I think it's true. We all look online to find guidance or ways of handling situations now, even more so since we've moved our lives online, you know, in the last year or so. And with Marcus Ratchford fronting it, you know, he's... He's been using the internet to kind of bring ideas and challenge ideas, bring it to his fan base, the kind of campaigns he's been involved with and taking the knee. I just think, yeah, it's a great combination and a way of kind of really showing how Google can be used for the good. Um, I, I agree with everything you, you, you had to say there. Um, and I, it just occurred to me that the example I gave of, uh, of one of the searches in the ad, uh, What's a Kaylee? I mean, that is obviously a, a piece of factual information. But in the film, which I really encourage everyone to go and watch, um, it's brilliantly shot, really well cast, um, as well as having this fantastic uh, voiceover from Rashford. Where, you know, we see a scene of a, a young man who's at a, a wedding, perhaps, and there's a Kaylee going on and he's looking bewildered but he's embarrassed to to ask what it is um and so through that factual inquiry that he he's making in google um he's also um, going through the same kind of process as, as the other characters in the campaign so last but not least um apparently there's a, a james bond film coming out soon you might have read something or other about that uh, in the media supposedly it's been uh, somewhat delayed um giving a special meaning to its title no time to die but one of the brands involved in um, that film is heineken and uh, they've brought out a campaign by a publicist called worth the wait featuring none other than 007 himself daniel craig
Well worth the wait. Nicola, this campaign is giving a little nod to uh, the to, to the long delay uh, to this film's uh, release. Uh, do you think it's clever? I yeah. The thing that I thought about this ad is I love the simplicity of it. Um, the fact that it's having a joke about the fact it's been delayed, I think, three times. Um, there's this kind of build up. We were waiting to see what happens <laughs> um, in in the pub with Daniel Craig. And it's actually it's a bit of an anticlimax at the end because he just takes a sip, but it's done in that cool Bond-esque manner. Yeah, the only thing I wondered is, is would it have worked if Daniel Craig wasn't featured in this ad? It's, it's really relying on his star power. Um, but I guess that's the key to it. And that's why he was chosen to feature. Um, and how long would you be willing to wait for a Heineken? <laughs> You're asking the wrong person because I don't actually drink beer. <laughs> um, I'm sure. I'm sure plenty of people would be willing to wait. <laughs> well, the, the brand did do some research, and they supposedly found that the optimal amount of time that you should have to wait is uh, 20 minutes, which is long enough to build the anticipation, uh, but not so long. Uh, become infuriated, but personally, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm um, the, the median person in, in that that research uh, you know if I turn up at a bar I want my beer straight away um, I found it interesting that the idea they were using here was uh, pretty reminiscent I think of uh, um, Guinness's long-standing uh, campaign message good things come to those who wait when you order a Guinness of course you do have to wait a few minutes for it because they pour it slowly um, and Heineken of course are, are using the moment here of, of this film's uh, release but um maybe there's something a, a little bit cheeky about uh, <laughs> about what they're they're doing with that there anyway that is all we have time for so i want to say a huge thank you um to nicola merrifield for making her campaign podcast debut uh, nicola hope to have you back again soon now we're going to go over to gideon's interview with martin sorrell or sir martin sorrell Now I'm delighted to welcome Sir Martin Sorrell, Executive Chairman of S4 Capital since May 2018 and ran WPP for 33 years, left and immediately after six weeks set up a new business, S4 Capital. The shares began trading in September 2018 and three years later, third anniversary, this is a company worth four and a half billion pounds. So, Sir Martin, uh, welcome. Uh, four and a half billion pounds, it's not a bad run. D- is this what you were planning? Is this what you expected? No, I don't think you have, you have a plan, plan sort of specific numbers like that. There might be some people who do that, but we don't. And we just want, we just planned to build a new model and to, to disintermediate or disrupt the traditional model. Because, as you know, Gideon, we think it's passed itself by that. It was actually, you know, people tend in our industry to think that the cold co model was established in the seventies and eighties, you know, starting at Sachin, Sachin AB, WPP, Omnicon, the big bang in 1985 when BBDO and KBW and DDB came together, uh, publicists, whatever. Um, the, the simple fact is it goes back to Marion Harper and, and the 1950s when he set up IPG with competing networks. Originally, it was to handle competing clients. So I think it's been in existence for 70 years. McKinsey says the average company lasts in the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100 for about 17 years. It's time for a new approach. And I think uh, you know, it comes to the heart 
of the matter is that our industry, and I think, you know, you could have a campaign traditional and you could have a campaign digital and you, you could have two magazines because it's two different worlds. So S4 Capital has merged with 24 plus uh, companies. Yeah. People know that you you in the area of content in digital media. And then most recently, tell us about the third pillar and where, what, what I guess why you're achieving growth of 49% in the first half of this year. Well, I think the answer to the very back end of the question is, you know, we're in the right, either by luck or judgment, we're in the right place at the right time. And the pandemic has accelerated the the adoption uh, of digital transformation or dis- digital disruption amongst consumers, media, as you know, from your experience at campaign and, and last but not least in enterprises. But, you know, what we do is we do three things now, as of last week. The first is digital advertising content. So we, we create, produce, and distribute digital advertising. So we basically work with those platforms on the content side, on the digital advertising content side. Then the second area is data and analytics and digital media, which has mushroomed heavily recently. Uh, I mean, if, you, if, I, if we had this conversation a year ago, I would have bet that content in our your content two-thirds of our business, data and, and digital media is one-third. I would have bet that content would have outpaced data and digital media, and they, that's not the case. I mean, they, they both actually were in lockstep in the first half when we were up 50% like for like. And, and the two-year stack, I think our industry has been a little bit naughty. You know, CEOs in our, in our industry, the, amongst the ADCOs, have tried to present Q2 of 2021 as their best ever, forgetting that Q2 of 2020 was their worst ever. So the analysts and journalists and the educated journalists look at the two-year stack, and our two-year stack is 75%. So that's the second area. So data and digital media have mushroomed, I think, because of Google's decision on cookies, so the cookie-less world in a in a couple of years, and and Apple's decisions around IDFA. And then the third area is technology services. What technology services enables us to do is to go into a client and and attack, if that's the right word, the digital transformation opportunity in three ways. Sales function and marketing function, which we traditionally did with, with what we had. And now with what I describe as the full set, with our technology services capability, we can go in through the IT function so we can talk to the CTO and the CIO, as well as the chief sales officer, as well as the chief marketing officer and the chief digital officer. So I think it gives us a much broader point of access and, and more importantly, means that we go, we go up head to head against, you know, obviously we're a pimple in relation to Accenture, but less so with Globant, with EPAV, Indava, Perficient. We do those three things and that gives us the full set of services, in our view, to compete effectively in digital trans- mar- marketing, digital transformation. So um, investors have bought into you and bought yeah. into this idea because um, the share price was very roughly just above a pound when uh, the the shares started trading. They went up and down a bit, um, but then at the start of the pandemic, like a lot of shares, so March twenty twenty, uh, the share price uh, did go down to back nearly to around a pound. And then suddenly the share price 
almost ever since the end of March, it just kept climbing and climbing. And it's now eight pounds and it means the market cap is, is 4.4 billion. I know it can pounds. Uh, so I know it can change a little bit. Uh, so I was thinking that's an amazing uh, increase. And just in terms of when we try and understand that 4.4 billion pounds, if I look at the number of shares, which are an issue, I think when you the shares started trading, then there were about 255 million. Now there's more like 550 million. Part of that increase, in fact, maybe half of it, is you've issued new shares to all these 25 plus companies that have been merged with S4. Well, what we, what we, the view we've taken, we call them mergers and we call them deliberately mergers because they're not acquisitions. We think that the uh, earnout model is a busted flush. That, that, that doesn't work. It, sorry, it's a busted flush if what you're trying to do is build a unitary company. And you, you're, you're long in the tooth on this and you, you, you've talked to uh, ADCO CEOs who've continuously said to you, Gideon, that they're one company or they're the power of one or, and, and the power of one turns out in reality to be about power of 28. So what we've done is try and create a new structure that is a structure where uh, there is no separation. There's nothing wrong with manager-managed companies. But we believe in owner-managed companies. We believe in uniting ownership with control. We think the problems start to happen, you know, the civil service. Our structure, you know, instead of having acquiring companies uh, and putting them on three, four or five year earnouts, which creates fragmentation, we're saying to people two things. One is join us on this mission. And if it sounds messianic, it is, right? We're, we're out to disrupt. So, so use grand examples. And the second thing is we want to disrupt the old. We want to create a new model. So we're so people are buying in and, you know, part of our market cap increase is, is two things. I mean, the share price has gone from, as you say, 113 to 800 or whatever it is over the last three years. It's primarily gone, gone that way because the growth rates that we've been man- able to achieve so far from a small base have been very substantial. I mean, I know some people say parts of their empires are growing at high rates. But, you know, where's the beef? Show me the proof. And I, you know, when you look at our base business, which in the first half grew by, as you said, 49%, accelerating from 33 to 66 in Q2, um, you know, our growth and growth in market cap is driven partly by the fact that people have been willing to accept as part of the consideration, one half of the consideration, an investment in the company, which they lock up for a period of time, and they believe believe in the future. And secondly, uh, the growth of the company. So we're incentivized, as you also know, by the increase in the market value in the in the adjusted market value for 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 new shares for new equity in the adjusted market value of the company. So my, my take on it is uh, you've been very canny. You may be incentivizing all these agency and other entrepreneurs who, who are selling and merging their businesses in with S4, but actually the their equity is swelling the value overall. But that's a point. I mean, for you personally, I think in the annual report, you have 54 million 
shares. So I was doing a bit of maths and I was thinking, well, your shares must be worth over 400 million pounds. Actually, there's about 58 million shares. But there, there are all sorts of things happening at, at S4 which are, are creating value. So, so uh, yeah, but it's all paper, Gideon, as you well know. Well, uh, unless someone is, when, they, when, they, when the time elapses, they can uh, sell. So I'll ask you one more question about money. There's this incentive shares that, that you've got, and uh, I think some other people, in, uh, senior people in the company either have or may get. And yeah. um, there's a 6% growth, and that 6% growth needs to be in what? You were talking about market-adjusted value. Yes, that's right. So, you know, incremental market growth, 6% compound, that's the hurdle. Fine, and that's by 2023. Uh, well, no, well, that's not quite true. So, so, yeah, as I said at the very beginning, I have a sort of five, five to well, I have a five to seven year horizon um, from the start, so from 18, from September 18, say, or around that date. Um, and then I have to, you know, make up my mind, or others have to make up my mind whether I do another five to seven years. And I think, the, you know, if you you pin me against the wall and said, what are you going to do? I would say probably I would do this not just for the first five to seven years, but for the second five to seven years too. So on, on your incentive shares, just um, you are entitled to 15% of, 15% of the uplift above 6% compound growth. No, it's 15% of the growth as long as okay. we achieve a 6% compound. So it's not above 6%, it's 15% going back to zero. Okay, fine. So you're growing away more than that. Yes. Right. So uh, it's only paper. It's theoretical. It hasn't happened yet. But on, on this kind of track, I mean, uh, Lucian Grange has got something around £150 million, I think, from uh, Universal Music. Well, what your uplift could be huge. As you say, well, we're at the beginning of the journey, so we'll see. How would you track the adjusted value increase from, from where you started to to the current level of four point four billion pounds? I think we've raised a total of four hundred and fifty million of of fresh equity. If you if you know, new equity, so you can do your own your own maths on that. You can see what the 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 value added has been about four billion from the from the initial the initial uh, run. So you can do your own calculations from that. So you may end up making more money than you did out of WPP. I haven't, I haven't made my money in WPP because I haven't sold my shares. <laughs> uh, that's, that's... I, I, I haven't sold my shares. I mean, um, in fact, you know, WPP shares continue to languish. I mean, they continue to be, what is it, 25% below on the day I left. I, mean, I think it was valued at $16 billion and. It's still valued, I think, at 12. Now, talk, let's talk about clients for a minute. Um, I mean, just alone, the stock market value is very impressive at £4.4 billion, and the growth rates are very high. Is it, though, a little bit the law of small numbers? You know, because you're, you're, you, it's a still a relatively small business, you know, you can tell me what your, your likely revenue or gross profit will be for the, this year. You, you know, it's easier to grow. A $20 million Whopper account, which you talk about, at one of the big hold codes, a Whopper account is 150 million plus. Yeah, but, but but that's not the point, really. I mean, you 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 say that. I think if you look at the analyst forecast this year for our gross revenues, I'm mean, not our gross revenues, our revenues. We have gross profit and net revenues, and we have um, revenues. Our revenues, I think most people are projecting about 900 million. So it's getting to almost to a billion a billion dollars. That's not small. 
And it's what I said to you a few minutes ago. You know, we hear people say that parts of their their empires are growing. Show me the beef. And if they are growing at prodigious rates, what are those rates? You know, don't don't cloak the growth rate in a bigger number and don't reveal what it is. So no, you're I mean you're right in the sense that it's easier to grow, you know, dis, disproportionate impact on smaller numbers. I remember a Google CFO it must have been about ten years ago. Shortly thereafter he, he retired from the business, but one quarter Google didn't do quite as well as the market was expecting. And he said it was the law of law of big numbers that you know they got so big. But that was ten years ago when they were much smaller look where they are now. So no, I, I think that's a little bit unfair, Gideon. I think that the reason why the business is growing is because it is aligned, again, by luck or by judgment, in an area of the industry which is different. It's, it's not even Holco territory. I mean, the Holcos, their problem is that they, they, they waffle on about how much digital they have. And when you actually look at the numbers taking the same sort of approach as you just did, we actually look at numbers, it doesn't add up. You know, if you if over two years you don't grow at all, or the maximum that you grow is eight percent, um, it means that the analog part of their business is swamping any digital growth that they they all point to the digital assets that they have. If the digital assets were so good and the in, digital industry is growing at fifteen or twenty percent, they should be growing at 15 or 20%. You know, we, we're growing at more. The, the industry, the digital industry, whether it's the media piece, whether it's the um, marketing services piece, or whether it's last but not least uh, the, the, the trade budget piece, is growing at around this year probably 15 to 20%. The whole coast have their projections. You know, they say that the industry is going to grow by about 12% this year. Traditional up five percent, digital up twenty. So, what's what all we're reflecting, and and if you if you follow our growth, as you said yourself, with the platform growth, it, it tracks almost one to one. Or if you look at our share price for a minute, it tracks Globant. It actually tracks Trade Desk as well, but it it actually goes it almost in lockstep with Globant since September of 2018, and Globand is now 13 billion. And just to rub it home for a minute, Gideon, if we're talking about numbers and value, etc., by selling WPP, by selling 20% of Globand at 52, do you know how much profit they have forgotten now? Uh, you're going to tell me. It's $2.5 billion. So don't give me any nonsense, right? You know, the holding companies don't understand the value of these digital assets so don't tell me it's about the law of big numbers or whatever what it is about so we're absolutely 100 percent clear it's about and i would acknowledge this being in the right place at the right time i'm going to come back to that exact point in a second on m&a i mean you you must you must love m&a because i mean i heard you were doing a deal on new year's eve maybe it was two um is is the own is the thing about S four? It's just about feeding the acquisition machine. Kidding, you know that that sounds like sort of the people with chips on their shoulder, right? 
I mean, that would be fair if the, if the base business was flat or not, non-existent. But this is just patently unfair. You know, we go, let's talk about in terms of employment numbers. At a time when the holding companies, I, read, I think it was in campaign actually, that, I think Forrester's figures, they, they, they fired 22,000 people last year. And we've gone from 2,400 to 6,400. 6, and half of that growth is through mergers. The other half is from organic growth. With Media Monks, you went to a unitary brand, yeah? yeah. And let's, uh, it, I'm really curious to know, you, I understand you can incentivize all these 25 plus businesses you've bought where, where they've all got shared equity effectively. Um, uh, how about the distinctiveness of one brand? Why have S4 at all then? How do you get everyone who comes from different cultures, different places to rally around Media. Well, it's not easy, as you well know, because you've dealt with all these individuals or similar individuals or like-minded individuals. Actually, they're not like-minded individuals. That's part of the problem. It's because they're differently minded. And, you know, a lot of these people have started their businesses in a basement or a garage or under hardship or from nothing. And therefore, rightly, very proud of their brand. We just think uh, as, a, as a group, and the fact that we've been able to do it. And clients have said to me that they're surprised, A, with the speed with, the, with which we've done it, and B, the fact that we could get it done. Um, and, you know, I, it, it, it was a well-thought-through process, and Wesley Taha spent a lot of time talking to the individuals involved, and we came to a, to a view, a joint view. It wasn't, dare I say it, like others, and you can... You, you, know, you, you know who I'm talking about, who send a, an email from the center saying the name of the operation will be X and clients and people revolt as a result. And, and, and so we, we, we thought it through. We talked it through with our key people. We talked it through in depth with several groups, significant groups in the company. And we talked it through with clients. And so it was well planned. It took, I would say, about six months, nine months to do. Now, it's not easy, Gideon, as you well know, because you, you've dealt with the industry for years and you know the individuals. And these are all very talented individuals and they have a belief in, the, in what they do. But you bring them all together and it's, it's a, a clear signal that we believe that a unitary structure, you know, a client I was talking to yesterday said it gives them a single point of access to our 6,000 plus, 6,500 plus digital experts, as we call them, in, in our monks in 33 countries. And we believe that is the structure that is necessary. You know, look, Campaign loves to write about individual brands. And having monolithic brands probably doesn't, doesn't sort of cope with, with that, it gives you much less variety in terms of saying this unit here and that unit there. But we believe from a client point of view and indeed from an individual point of view, from a, the, the, the career opportunities are huge. So, so to putting it sort of structurally, when I was at WPP, the trade-off was you have your own independent brand, like autonomy, much misused word, but you, you understand what I mean. And we'll do all the financial administrative stuff. That was the deal. The deal now is 
you surrender your brand, you become part of this unit and you get access to the talent opportunities, the capital opportunities, the geographic opportunities and the client opportunities. It's really those four buckets. And it may be, it may well be that it's a function of the nature of the company, the size of the companies that we deal with, right? Usually they're 25, 50, 75, $100 million of revenue. And it may be that they're thinking about how do they break through from $100 million to $500 million. And that the, the difficulty of doing that is so great, or the risks doing it so great, that they're better doing it with us than they are on their own. It could be that. But, but essentially what's happening here is that we, are coming, we came to the view that having a single operating brand was going to be more effective. We, we would then be enabled to build in the software from, from point zero, from the base point, mm. that we'd be able to build that in. And we have done that. Someone said to me, um, I mean, it, it, managing very creative people in very large businesses it, it is, is an interesting challenge. Um, you know, you mentioned about WPP uh, inevitably. And um, you, you, know, you said in a different context about being in the right place at the right time. Just to paraphrase, when you look back, I mean, it felt like, things were difficult in say 2017 and that that was your last sort of year at WPP and that maybe some of the things you wanted to do like move towards more of uh, fewer brands and so on was underway but it was taking time that's the biggest problem you know verticality I know horizontality has been banned but vertical it's a bad way of describing it verticality is the enemy of you know integration and what's happened is most of the holding companies have integrated. Do you think, yeah, can I just push you on a different thing? You know, we're, we're the tech platforms, you know, they have, yeah. when I, I work for a publisher. I've always worked for, for publishers and most of them have been in what you would call established businesses. And yeah. when I look at the media owner, yeah. it's been ravaged when it comes from advertising. In fact, some of the strongest businesses have moved to subscription, including campaign. When yeah. I think about, um, you know, the agency groups, the, the hold codes, which, you know, you are quite critical of or even savage about. Uh, I mean, Citigroup came out with a note in June and they were saying that they think that the holding companies are underappreciated, that, that, that whatever, that, you know, they have managed to evolve and grow, maybe with a blank sheet of paper. No, but that's not true, Gideon. That is not true. Over the last two years, they haven't. I mean, the... the you know that you're you're falling into the you know the Lex wrote a really interesting piece about delusional. I don't think they used the word delusional, but they implied delusional CEOs who said they had their best quarter in 21, ignoring the fact they had their worst quarter in 20s. And what he was saying was it's more dead cat bounce, and that's why he said actually there was then a piece of Goldman statistical work, and you wrote about this in one of the articles you wrote that the two year stack was critically important that you had to look at what happened in two years and go back to pre-covid you have to wait till 23 to see what happens well it's very good and 23 is also the the deadline for your hurdle so it's all good no no, no, no. again that's a misreading of it so you know my my there's no hurdle you know i can carry on for seven years i can then roll on for another five to seven years so there's no hurdle 
Um, now let's go uh, to, to a general question about the business. In your recent results, you said lengthy reviews are wasteful and time consuming. Um, and I, I thought that was a really interesting point in, uh, I mean, you, you, we are seeing some clients have closed reviews and so on. What's your strategy? Cause you kind of know an awful lot of people. You may be, is, are you actually looking to shortcut and just try and land and expand your existing business? What is the pitch process broken? I don't know whether it's broken or not, but I, I, I think, you know, it does become too process-driven. And I, and I think it, they become too long. You know, there are some reviews going on at the moment which have taken a year. Um, we, we, we try and choose very carefully when we get involved in reviews because with only 6,500 people, when, when we commit to a review of that nature, it takes a considerable amount of resource and it diverts resources from existing business. So we much prefer what we call the land and expand approach, which is to win a piece of business, do a good job, obviously, add a piece of business. Um, now, for example, I was on a Zoom call with, uh, with a media company just 48 hours ago, and you know, they have uh, launches they want to, to trigger very quickly. Maybe it's a different situation, but clearly they can't go through a lengthy review process. So they look at what we've done. You know, they give us uh, something to look, a brief to look at, and they make their mind up. I mean, if I was CEO of a company um, and I had hired a CMO, I would expect that CMO to know which of the agencies that he or she think are best for the business that we jointly run, and what is what is the need to go through a lengthy process? You may take two or three agencies and give them a brief and see how they react and do it, or give them a project, see whether it works or see whether it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, you, you, you don't go. But to go through these long processes at a time where I think you said in your article, Gideon, the, the market is changing at hyperspeed, it seems to me that that is an outdated way of doing it. It's too heavy. It's too process heavy. It's procurement driven. So what have you got? You've got pressure on revenues and pressure upwards on costs. And that's not the way to run a business. I'd far rather, look, again, it comes back to the fundamentals we've been talking about. We happen, again, by luck or judgment to be in a growth spot. So we tend to look at the sky, not look at our boots. And we like to work with clients that look at the sky, not at their boots. And so we're looking for expansive clients who are willing to change. Because we, we, uh, one of the things on pitches, if we think there's a strong change agent inside the client to get change done, then we may go with the lengthy process. Because, yeah. because we think that we can handle that in an effective way. It's difficult to know... Uh... Where, where next for S4? Maybe you don't know. We never sort of set. So specific, I mean, we're, we're just going into our planning process for next year. And I see no re- reason why our plan for 22-4 shouldn't be exactly the same as 21-3, i.e. doubling the size of the company organically, which implies a 25% uh, top-line growth rate uh, and bottom line as well. And... You know, margins 20%, 21%, whatever. That's where we're, we're, from a financial point of view, trying to get. And with a market that's growing 
15 to 20, according to most experts in 21 and 22. And Nathanson says digital be 70% of the market by, by of, of, of media. So media is about 650 billion now, marketing services 500, 550, and trade budgets 7, 800 billion. And then digital transformation, you know, the tech services business opens up another big addressable market for us. But with that market growing at 15, 20%, given your law of small numbers as opposed to big numbers, we should grow faster than that. So 25% compound, uh, which we started this year up, we took it up to 30, 35, and 40, should be possible, theoretically. And um, so so the answer to your question is, we'll we'll continue to try and do the business. I mean, we'll, we'll try and continue to build the business Unitary brand, you know, digital only, the, the holy trinity of data and content, and, and etc. Faster, better, cheaper, and unitary brand. That's it. All right. Well, um, very boring. Very boring. It doesn't sound boring. I want to know what you're going to do with your 400 million quid on paper. I'm a long-term brand builder. So that's all we have time for this week. A huge thank you to Nicola, Gideon and Martin Sorrell for joining us today. If you're a first-time listener, please subscribe and leave a review. I'm Simon Gwynn, Campaign's Technology and Gaming Editor, and this episode was produced by Lindsay Riley. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again next week. Music